invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 17. Genesis 17 is page 11 on the Bibles in front of you there. You can recall our first trip from Michigan uh, to Arkansas. This was a little over, yeah, a little over a year ago now. And I was candidating. We were excited to meet you all, excited to, uh, to see the area, learn a little bit more about, uh, about this place. And after six hours in the state of Illinois, we were even more excited uh, to be here. And, um, and then we got into northeast Iowa, and we sort of looked at each other and said, what happened? This looks a lot like, or I'm sorry, northeast Arkansas. And we said, this looks a lot like Iowa. Now, what's going on? So we were even more excited and then, uh, and then we started to see those little green signs that said Little Rock 197 or Little Rock 90. So that, you know, that encouraged us to keep driving. There was this place called Little Rock, this place called uh, Sherwood. And then finally, we see the signs for the Air Force Base. We knew we were getting closer, getting more excited. Uh, and then the Jacksonville-Sherwood signs uh, showed up. But over 12 hours on the road... Um, we were, we were glad to be at this place uh, called Sherwood. But grateful for those little signs along the way. Um, because if Little Rock or Sherwood hadn't existed, and they weren't real places, there would be no need for the signs. God has given His people signs. Signs of something real that exists between God as Creator and those that he's called to himself. And we're going to look at one of those signs this morning, a sign given to Abraham and all of his household. Um, We're going to participate in that sign again in just a few minutes, which, you know, don't break into a sweat or get uneasy about that. We're not going to perform a circumcision here. Um, But we will go to the waters of baptism. Um, We do that in obedience to the Lord. Uh, So let's read the word of the Lord from Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who was born in your house and he who was brought, bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in the flesh, in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. 
This is God's word to Abraham the patriarch and to us. Let's pray together. Lord, you do give us what it is we need as your people. And you give us this, your word, carrying your authority and your power to teach us, to guide us, to grow us in grace and knowledge of you, our God, and of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Be with us now, O Spirit of Christ, as you work this word into our hearts. May we take it to heart and grow in our love for you. In Christ's name, amen. When you came to church this morning, came into the sanctuary, did you expect that you would be the only one here? I'm guessing probably not. You thought that there would be others here who would join you in worship and singing songs of praise and confession, assurance, like we've done over the last half an hour. Unless you heard there was an emergency or we had canceled something, you expected other people to be here this morning. Didn't have to be very many people, but others who would join you in worship and respond with you. That's part of being the church, part of being the, the body of Christ, one holy temple, one family of God. As a family, we, we need each other to grow and mature in the faith. And that idea of the family, that God addresses families and makes promises to families most often, most consistently as, as a community, that, that can be hard for us to understand. Hard for us to really embrace. There's a growing trend. I'll say it's growing, but it's really been growing over the last hundred plus years. In the contemporary evangelical church, that God is most concerned, and therefore we must be most concerned as a church with our own individual personal relationship with Jesus. And it's certainly no secret that the culture is most concerned with the individual and our personal wants and our personal desires. Here's what I need to be happy. Here's what you need to be satisfied. What you need to be comfortable or secure. And so this, this individualism just, just roots its way into the church. And the entertainment market that the church has become. We're not, we're not immune to this. Not immune from thinking and believing that the church and and any commitment to the church is nice, but it's really not necessary for my spiritual growth. That's between me and Jesus. Yet as human beings, we're social creatures. We need others. Find our greatest fulfillment, our greatest joy in relationship to others. And it doesn't surprise us that Facebook and all the other Social media sites, you know, hundreds of millions of hits every single day. Human race is just longing for connection in some way. And so the more modern way of thinking is that if the church can help with that connection and can help meet my need for personal fulfillment, then it has value. So brothers and sisters, that can make the Christian life and our walk with Jesus a very private affair even within the church. It's much, uh, much easier than we think to make Christ and the cross, those gathered in His name, a tool for self-fulfillment. It's a message that's in our faces all the time. 
You know, give this a try. Give this church, give this God a try. See if, it, if He helps. Help meet your need. It really is about you and your comfort. And that will miss, I hope you hear that, it will essentially miss the blood and the guts, and the sacrificial atonement that was made for my, no kidding, real guilt before God, and yours as well. The gospel is about what God has done. It's about Him and what He has called us to as His people. Now, I want you to hear something very clearly after I said all that. God is concerned with you and with me personally. He died to rescue and redeem you and me. We do need to repent and and believe as individuals. We do have a personal relationship with Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. If it does, then that individual relationship becomes all important. We've been saved separately, but for community. Each individual matters within the larger body of Christ. Because we stand together, we have been uh, saved. So we see God calling, marking out His chosen family in the life of Abraham, Abram, before this chapter. Uh, he had settled in the land of Canaan with his wife Sarah, uh, servant uh, Hagar, and the uh, son that he had with Hagar, Ishmael. And it's been about 12, 13 years since Abram has heard the word of the Lord when we get to this text. And now, El Shaddai, God Almighty, comes to him and says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and and here are the terms of that covenant. Coming from the one who is sovereign to the one who is a servant. I will be your God and the God of your descendants. That's God's part. Abram's part. Walk blamelessly before me. But God Almighty doesn't just leave it there as some abstract promise. Oh yeah, God made this promise. He said we're going to be His. Let's let's see if we can remember when He did that. No, God gives Abram something that that He needs. Gives His descendants something that, that meets their human need. Something tangible. Something earthy. Memorable. Something they can cling to. God says to Abram, I'm going to change your name and cut this covenant into your flesh. The flesh of your family. There will be no mistaking this promise that I have made. and That my commitment to you is real. That's what the sign is for. So Abraham is instructed to circumcise every male eight days old and older. Those who have been born into the house and those who come into the house by other means. The sign of God's everlasting covenant is is placed on them. You belong in this family. This is the God that we serve. This is what is expected of you. And because God's you know, covenant, He cuts this everlasting covenant, what, what does that tell us? It tells us it's everlasting. This unending covenant undergoes some very radical changes in the coming of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment that comes with Christ. But it doesn't, it doesn't remove the sign of His covenant. God doesn't take away what we as human beings need in our creatureliness. He expands it. He extends an even more gracious sign with the even more gracious sacrifice in the Lord Jesus. Something we couldn't really fathom. Can't separate the sign and what it shows. The sign continues today marking out, identifying those 
who are included in the family of God's people in the waters of baptism. So that's what we're going to look at in the next few minutes from this passage. The spiritual dimension, a relational dimension that comes with the sign and the seal, the initial covenant uh, between God and His people. Um, It's a spiritual covenant. The sign is given to identify a spiritual reality. Abraham had to trust God. He had to believe that God was able to do everything that He had promised. Two chapters earlier, in chapter 15, we see that that this faith, this faith is very real in Abraham's life. He believed that God Almighty had set him apart. He believed that, that God would be faithful to his descendant when he didn't have any descendants with Sarah. But he believed, he obeyed in circumcising all the males in his house. We read a little later. And Paul picks up on the importance of Abraham's faith even prior to his circumcision, Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So the sign of the covenant, circumcision, was given to mark the obedience and faith of Abraham as God's chosen man. And the faith and obedience of all of his family that would uh, come after him. So as the faith of Abraham goes, so goes the faith of his family. It's true in that the patriarchal system uh, that's before us here. That was the expectation. The beliefs and convictions of the father would be taught and followed by those in the family. This is why the covenant applied to females as well uh, within a circumcised home. How how much faith and obedience could an eight-day-old infant have or offer? It's not a hard question. None. None at all. But because of Abraham's faith and his obedience, they were included in the covenant. So God is making promises to those little children that He will be their God. They'll have a mark on their bodies. And they're going to grow, and the time will come, and mommy or daddy, well, what is this? What happened here? And the parent can then tell the child, this is the mark of the covenant. This is, our, our God is your God child. This promise to us, He's made promises to us that we would walk before Him. Be called His very own. God's blessing and protection are upon you. And so that covenant that God makes with Abraham is is everlasting, which means that He makes these promises to you and to me and to our descendants after us. All who walk in faith and obedience to the covenant. So God takes something that is known. This wasn't when circumcision started. It wasn't invented here. Taking something that was, was known from other contexts Often in the ancient world, for ritual purity or transition from puberty to adulthood, they would practice this. But he takes a bloody ritual and uses it for an extraordinary purpose. It's painful. It required the shedding of blood. A sacrifice needed to be made to be included in this covenant. God addressing His people in community, making promises to His people in the family. That has not changed from one testament into another. 
So that's that spiritual dimension, the significance of faith, that's the basis for the new covenant in Christ, for what we're going to administer here in just a few minutes. Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Jesus is the true and faithful descendant of Abraham. Walking in perfect obedience to the Father. Jesus fulfilled the very calling of Abraham, and it's by faith in Jesus by which the Holy Spirit brings us into union with Him. And so Paul locates our being buried with Christ and our resurrection with Christ in baptism. Colossians 2, he appears to make this interchange between baptism and circumcision in the language. Listen to verses 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So the coming of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross means an end to the external sign of circumcision. The baptism was now signifying that spiritual circumcision of the heart through faith. You think, well, how does the apostle really make this connection? How can he use baptism and the circumcision of Christ as a circumcision of the heart. I think the Lord really opened his understanding of, of the scriptures, of the story. How the circumcision of the flesh was intended to bring this about. Uh, Moses may have helped Paul's understanding here. Deuteronomy 10. Moses addresses the people. Listen to what he says. I'm going to read several verses here. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. The circumcision of the flesh given to encourage and motivate the circumcision of the heart. The circumcision of the heart that God desires. He would accomplish through Christ. Deuteronomy 30, another example, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. So the sign of a better covenant in Jesus connects it with that everlasting covenant made with Abraham in baptism. So no longer is there pain and sacrifice and the shed blood of that old covenant sign. But what it pointed to, that the pain, the sacrifice, the shed blood of Jesus, that has been accomplished. What binds God to His people has actually been secured through the blood of Christ. 
So in the waters of baptism, we no longer see what the shed blood looks, looks forward to, but what the shed blood has accomplished. The washing away of sin for all who would walk before the Lord in faith. See, the sign has no power apart, apart from faith. That faith primarily is, is a response to the sign. We must remember what signs do, why they're given. Sign is given so that the one who, who sees it will acknowledge it and believe what the sign is pointing to. Okay, the green sign is pointing to, to Little Rock down Highway 67, 167. It does me no good to keep on driving if I don't believe what the sign is telling me. Circumcision of the eight-day-old infant. All those within Abraham's household would carry no spiritual power or significance unless the ones circumcised would walk faithfully in their father's footsteps. Sign of baptism. Whether it's placed on an adult entering into a covenant with the Lord or a child born into the covenant carries no spiritual power. Benefits have no effect unless the one baptized responds to the gospel. So the covenant's spiritual. It also it's, it has a relational aspect to it. We see God entering into a relationship with His people as individuals, as families. God chooses this relationship. He, he makes this promise with uh, Abraham and his family. Verse 7. Like we said a few minutes ago, God is, is calling a people, sets a family apart. So being born into that family is a great privilege. There's tremendous blessings that go along with it. It's this way throughout the story. Here's, consider the words of the psalmist. Psalm 103. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. God is with the children of those who believe. He's made promises to them. He has a relationship with them yet unborn. Certainly doesn't relieve that individual responsibility to believe, that circumcision of the heart. But God commits Himself to His people and assures them that those promises will be true as they walk in faith. True for Abraham and his descendants, true under the new covenant in Christ. Again, God's pattern throughout the story, dealing with households, Exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. He's talking about, about marriage, what, me, what must be considered by Christian men and women within marriage. But here's what he says in reference to those who believe in their children. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. The children of one or both believing parents are part of the covenant community doesn't mean that they're automatically part of the true Israel of God. Again, circumcision of the heart is necessary, but God has marked them out. His blessing, His care, His protection is upon them. The children of believers are not Canaanite children. They enter into this family, a family of God who's made lasting promises. See what a grace that is, what a blessing. The children should be born into this family. I need to mention, no, no better language captures this continuity between the Old and the New Covenant, God's blessing of relationship 
Acts chapter 2. Peter's just preached a very powerful sermon to the crowds there gathered at Pentecost. The Spirit is grabbing their hearts. They cry out, what, what do we do? How do we respond? And here's uh, Peter's response, verse 39 of Acts 2. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. So water baptism now symbolizes God's promise of faithfulness to His covenant people. What's so fascinating about that particular passage is it's using that covenant language of the Old Testament. Hear the word order that, that Peter uses there. He says this promise is for you, your children, all who are far off. Genesis 17, 7. God said the covenant is between me and you and your offspring and the generations to come, including all the foreigners. So Old Testament to the New Testament. We see covenant expansion, God calling, God growing this family in relationship with Him. So it's spiritual, it's relational, it's also an initiatory uh, right. God lays out His expectations uh, for this covenant sign, verses 10 through 14 that we read. And those who are a part of Abraham's family who are not, uh, not initiated in this way, they, they do not receive, they're actually cut off from God's chosen people. Even those within the family who come into the family who are, who are not circumcised would be considered covenant breakers. So this initial sign, seal of God's promises was necessary uh, for those in the family. Move in the New Testament, covenant in Christ, same pattern. We look at when the, the heart of Lydia was opened to Paul's preaching. Acts chapter 16, the sign of the covenant is placed upon her and her whole household. Later in the same chapter, in the Philippian jailer is converted. So this initiatory right is placed on him and everyone in the family. So we would need that sufficient evidence from the Scriptures to break continuity between the Old Testament application of the sign given to families and households, but we just don't have that. Instead, the New Testament it seems to acknowledge, continue applying this sign, the covenant within than believing families. 1 Corinthians 1 is another example. Paul says that he baptized the household of Stephanus. When a child is born into a believing home, the parents are invited and encouraged to do as Abraham did. To believe a promise. A promise for themselves and for their children. So up until this point, I, have, I haven't made a whole lot of immediate application uh, for us. Um, the sign of the covenant but I trust you're hearing the importance of what it is we're going to do here in just a minute. In baptism, we have a sign of our cleansing, forgiveness in Jesus. So as we participate in the sacrament together, we are to be reminded of God's ongoing work in each of our hearts, each of our lives. We're to put sin to death even as Jesus died for us. We're to walk in newness of life just as He took His life up again. This baptism is to impress on our hearts a life of repentant faith. Another direct application for us here is that this is a celebration, what we're going to do here in a moment. Celebrating God's grace. 
grace to a child born into the covenant community, celebrating what God has done for us. He's washed us. We're not, we're not placing the, the sign on the covenant child as a commemoration, sort of commemorating the faith. We're placing it on him or her to encourage and nurture and build up faith within the covenant community. That's what it's designed to do. Think what a privilege that is for everyone, everyone here to come alongside the family, to come alongside this child and the family of God. Maybe you remember the movie The Lion King. I'm thinking of the, the original mid-90s version of The Lion King. In fact, it was just here at the Robinson Center, a musical. I think it ended last week. But The Lion King, Mufasa, is killed by his um, wicked brother, Lion, Scar, I think his name was. And so uh, Simba uh, runs away from the pride and the rest of the other animals, thinking that maybe he had something to do with the death of his father. And later on in the movie, one of the female lions comes and finds uh, Simba and, and encourages him to come back to the pride that was rightfully his to rule. And before he goes back, Simba has a dream where he sees his father Mufasa. And he tells him something. You remember what he said? Remember who you are. He was the heir, the child of the king. So as our children grow in covenant community, and they're taught, taught this story over and over, reminded over and over again of who they are and who they belong to, they're children of the king, called to faith, called to walk in obedience before him. So we give God the glory. We praise him for this sign and seal of his covenant promises. Let's pray and go to the waters of baptism. Lord, you are a good and faithful God, and you have given to us what it is we need. What helps us understand this vast grace and mercy. For you are a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And so as we go to the waters of baptism and the sign that you've given, we, we don't do so out of sentiment or thinking that it's a good idea. We do so because you've commanded us to. We do so because we love you. We do so because it is what you've given to us to feed and encourage our faith. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.